The book is called Shul with a View, a rabbi's personal journal. Rabbi Ron Yitzhak Eisenman is in our studio this morning here at JM in the AM. He's rabbi of Congregation Avas Israel in Passaic, New Jersey, a renowned speaker and writer. And Shul with a View is based on his popular column in Mishpacha magazine and includes plenty of new material as well to my, I don't want to say old, but my longtime friend, Rabbi Ron Eisenman. Welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nochum. And as like you said, uh, we go back to our days on WYUR, uh, probably almost uh, more than 30 years ago, probably close to 40 years ago. Yeah, I'd say over 20. That's about, right. that's about yeah. all I'll, I'll admit to. Right. <laughs> um, mazel tov on the book. Thank you so much. How did this start with Mishpacha magazine? Why is Rabbi Ron Yitzchak Eisenman writing a regular column for a weekly magazine? That is an excellent question. Interestingly enough, about 2008 or so, I don't exactly remember, probably 10 years ago, I began to put out, just for the shul, an email called The Short Vort. And initially, it was more divrei Torah, but I realized, honestly, I didn't have to remake the wheel. There were many people doing that. So I be, it, I be, it morphed into more of my personal musings, my thoughts, anecdotes which occurred and sort of, as they say nowadays, what went viral was that I wrote a piece of uh, why am I, I'm a chassid of the Belzarebi after the terrible uh, massacre in Merkaz Harav Yeshiva. I was very touched and very moved that the, the Rebbe, although obviously he's not part of the religious Zionist movement, right. he visited the injured in the hospital and he attended the funeral. And I just put it out there and honestly... Um, a little while after that, Mishpacha magazine contacted me if they can print it. And a few months after that, they asked me if I would begin writing a regular column. Uh, do you write it, in fact, on a weekly basis? Or, or some of them are repeats? Or sometimes you're not in the magazine? How often do you write for them? Uh, so right now, I, I write every other week. It's mm-hmm. never a repeat, but I write every other week. New material each uh, every other week. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> there are rabbis that have written books about their experiences, and often people would say to them, "Oh my gosh, Rabbi, does everything happen to you? Like, you know, it seems like you're you're involved in every crazy situation." But I think any rabbi that would write a book would have a lot of interesting stories about their community, especially large and active communities like yours. Do do you understand that after I read this, I in fact said, "Oh my gosh, Rabbi Eisenman, everything seems to happen to him. Every possible situation a rabbi can get himself into, he has experienced." Yes, many pe- many people have had that same reaction. But honestly, I always respond that it's not just a purview of the rabbi. I honestly believe, I have no doubt, frankly, you, Reb Nochem, in your life could probably write the same, if not a better book, because you've, you've probably met everybody from every stretch of the Jewish and even outside the Jewish world. And all of us meet special people coming here every day. I mean, just to give you a very quick example, when I walked here and I saw that on going down Grand, it said 550 Grand, right. and you told me we were at 551 Grand. Right. So quickly I asked two people, not non-Jewish people, and they were so helpful. They said, oh, well, you have to go here. 551 must be across the street. And, you know, already it was a special, it was a special occasion. It was a special incident. So I think keeping your eyes open, uh, everybody experiences these more often than we realize. Right. But I will add, 
that a lot of these stories are particular for a rabbi, particular for those who host a lot of people at their Shabbos table. Again, typical for a rabbi in Rebetzin. Typical for someone who's in the front of the shul and notices, quote-unquote, strangers walk in, you know, with, with needs, requests, etc. You ha- You have a unique niche in the area of meeting interesting people and having interesting things happen to you. Right, correct. But that's definitely true. But I must stress that what's the, everyone's precious to me and all the stories are precious. But the stories about my family and the stories about my children, like anybody else, they're the most precious to me. And uh, and everyone who has children, Baruch Hashem, could in fact write those types of stories after their experiences with their own kids. Yeah. Rabbi Eisenman is here. The book is called Shul with a View, available everywhere, right? No, everywhere. No, no trouble getting it. With a big shout-out to our friends at Shara Press Art Scroll, right? Right. Rabbi Zlodowitz and Rabbi Sherman, literally, they were malachim, angelic to deal with. They were the, the nicest, friendliest, made everything so easy for me. It was literally seamless and perfect, everything from, from A to Z. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm just very, very indebted to them and have a lot of gratitude to both Rabbi Zlatowicz and Sherman. Um, I want to ask you about some specific stories, but first, as I mentioned to you off the air, I have not been in your synagogue for about 10 years. Um, and it's it, from what I hear, it has turned into a synagogue that, as you described to me earlier, now has 40 minyanim every day, which would mean that, for instance, last night, once the time for Marav, uh, arrives, I would guess there's many, many minyanim from Ariv. Through the day, many minyanim from Minchan. Obviously, each morning you have your choice of many shacharses. How has your shul turned into that type of atmosphere? Well, obviously, tremendous siyata deshmaya of obviously Hashem's hand in having this. But um, at one point also, about, it must have been about seven, eight, nine years ago, I don't remember exactly. Thank God it's an old, it's a very big building and there are numerous rooms we can daven in. And I came up with this idea that there's a need that people people want a minion on demand. I mean, I don't like to call it like that, <laughs> right. but, but it's not like the old days anymore where people want a minion on demand and uh, we were able to fill that void and create that niche. There are so many Jews in the Passaic Clifton area. Yes, and not only that, we get a, a huge amount of Jews who land in Newark Airport, right. especially at 4 or 5 in the morning. And now they know that you're around the clock, so they can just show up any time. So, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm just so curious in my own head to compare you to other shuls like this that I've seen in Yerushalayim, Bar Park, etc. How many men from Mariv were there last night, in your estimation? Well, the first Mariv would have been at 5.10, right. and the last Mariv would have been at 11.30 p.m., and they're approximately... Half hour apart, about but one point at around between nine and ten, they're every fifteen minutes. So to say, last night you had twenty marivs is is for sure. Correct, correct, correct. And in fact, we've had incidents where one of the Lakewood Russia yeshiva was coming in to uh, be Menachem Oval, pay a shiva call to someone, and as he was leaving, he said it was about eleven thirty during Ben Azmanim. You know, when the yeshivas are off, we actually have a, a midnight minion for Marv. Oh my. Gosh. And and he asked somebody, and it was like ten to twelve. That there's no way there's a marav here, is there? And the host said, "Yes, there is at the Ahavas." So we actually had one of the Russian yeshivas of Lakewood daven at the midnight minion one day. To have twenty marivs last night, you need at least two hundred men over thirteen years old. Correct. And you had that. You had over two hundred men, thirteen and over, last night in your shul. 
Yes. Yeah, and I mean more. Most minyanim, I would say. Yeah, I understand that. I'm yeah. just saying minimum of that. Right. right. That, I mean, it's, it's it's mind-boggling to me, frankly. Maybe I just don't realize how. Uh, you're there how many years? 20 years in Passaic? 21. In, in the shul, I'm 21 years. So now. in 21 years, your estimate, not in raw numbers, but has it doubled, tripled? What would you say the community has done in those 20 years that you've been there? I think when I, arri- when I arrived in the community in 1989, I think there were 200 families. That's almost 30 years ago. Okay. I think current estimates put it at somewhere between 1,800 and 2,000 families. Oh, so we're talking about a major difference. Yeah, major wow. difference. Unbelievable. Major. Yes. Rabbi Ron Yitzchak Eisenman is here. We're talking about the Avas, which is Avas Israel, Avas Israel in Passaic, New Jersey. Right. It is the only, not that this is a, uh, you know, not that anybody would expect any of them uh, to be, but it's the only uh, shul in the Passaic Clifton area where you could literally get Minyanim round the clock. Uh, wrapping up around midnight and starting again, I assume, for, for Vasekin and earlier when necessary. Right. Well, now the first minion is, is earlier, right. correct. When, yeah. Right. At the earliest time you can dive in. Right. Are you in the shul a good part of the day? Um, yeah. Most, truthfully, a lot of the day. I, I also teach uh, in Turo College. I'm an adjunct professor there. When I'm not teaching in Turo, I'm... Off, yeah, most of the day I'm in the shul. Is it round the clock minyanim on Shabbos, or Shabbos would act like a normal shul would? Well, Shabbos in the morning, we have three different minyanim. Right, but that uh, would be common for a lot of right. shuls, right? But we have many minchas. We ah. have many minchas. And, and there are two marivs, an early marv and a late marv that we do have right. also. Is it the well. geography? I'm sorry for being so fascinated by this. Is it the geography? Is it the menu? Is it the rabbi? What attracts so many people to use Avas as the round-the-clock place? It happens to be very centrally located, the shul. Well, that's located, important. Yeah, Van Houten and High Street. Right. Uh, it happens to be that, uh, like I said, it's it's very well run. You mentioned Yerushalayim. Right. But we're probably, actually, in the entire world, the only Ashkenazi, uh, quote-unquote, you know. Yeah, no, it's not mu- Ashkenaz. Right, right, multiple minion place, right. which is Ashkenaz, not Hasidish. Right. And plus, the minyanim run exactly on time. Right. And that's due to a lot of people. You know, we have a, a person, Jonathan Patinsky, who's very, very. So the 6 p.m. Marif tonight will start at 6 p.m. Not, and zero seconds. Exactly, and zero. So we have <laughs> digital clocks in all the rooms, and the minyanim begin exactly when I they're love supposed it. to. I absolutely love it. I got to come visit again. Please. <laughs> and now I know I can get a minion any time. So. Yes. Uh, Ronnie Tzachaisman is here. The book is called Shul with a View. I picked five stories because there's a million stories in here, but I said I got to at least choose right. you know, five to mention on the air and, and to ask you about just to get your reaction to them. Um, so you're at a wedding. You're at a wedding. They can't find the wedding ring or someone left the wedding ring at home. Right. And you're witnessing this not as the Masada Kedushin. You're witnessing this from your chair you know, as a guest at the wedding. Right. And a woman... Uh, comes running up or, you know, whatever the case is, or shouts from the back, uh, take my ring, I will gift it to the chatan, right? I will gift it to the groom. Correct. And let him then, then he can do whatever he wants with it, and obviously, you know, he wants to marry his wife, he could use it for the kedushin, right? right? And now, and you point out that the caterer, the musicians, everybody who's nervous now that things are stalling and they're not going to be able to continue, now they're everything's wonderful because this woman has gifted the ring and then you say that 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 very often you encounter i forgot the character's name but you may recall it cynical sam cynical sam very often you encounter cynical sam which all of us have been at one point or another who's now saying to himself oh boy probably can't stand her husband couldn't wait to you know to get rid of the ring oh boy now he's going to say to her husband i need a new ring because look at the chesed i did and uh, and other thoughts going through cynical sam's mind 
And then you point out at the end of the story that you that I am cynical. That Sam. you are a cynical, Sam. Right. Because it, it's difficult sometimes for us to appreciate the sincerity behind an act like that. That's true. And I also want to point out, uh, as a, a very good friend of mine, uh, Rabbi Avram Aronovich, unfortunately passed away at a very young age uh, last year. But as he once told me, he was a, my best friend, basically. He said, if there's one thing I learned about you, Rabbi Eisman, is that you taught me the lesson that rabbis are human too. Mm. And you know, just because you have the title rabbi, that doesn't uh, free you from the normal foibles that we all have and you know, our cynicism and et cetera, et cetera. So I try to impress that on the, in the book a lot. And I'm glad you say that because in this era when there is this impression among many that in fact uh, certain rabbis cannot possibly be wrong or can possibly make a mistake, it's an important thing to remember. Correct. And, and yeah, I think the... The idea that the recognition that the rabbi is as human and has as human needs as anybody else, if that would be one of the goals that I achieved in this book and I was successful at, I would be very satisfied. You mentioned a story where um, your wife is flying to Israel, I think with some other family members because of a simcha, thank God, and it turns out that you and only one of your children is going to be home for that Shabbos. Right. And number one, you're concerned, and boy, this one I love, number one, you're concerned if anybody in the neighborhood finds out that you and your daughter are alone, it's going to become the issue of the entire neighborhood because, you know, we have to make sure that the rabbi and his daughter have meals and that they're, that they, you know, that that, that someone's there to care for them, etc. So you're trying to keep this on the lowdown, as they say in the vernacular, right? Right. You're trying not to get the word out. Right. (laughs) And you mention how, thank God, and you say this obviously from a very positive point of view, that although your wife's away, and again, thank God for his simcha, but your wife and other children are away, you have this amazing opportunity to literally, you know, scrape together, and I, of course, say that, you know, jokingly, scrape together a couple of meals and just spend this quality time with your daughter, who, and we know how difficult it is to have one-on-one time with our kids, everyone's so busy, etc., and I am sure you look back at that Shabbos with tremendous fondness. Yeah, that was a very precious, precious Shabbos. That was my, well, my youngest daughter, Aviva. And looking back, honestly, it, it was a very unique and precious and cherished opportunity I had for us to be able to to bond together without anybody, without any distractions. Without... And schmooze about stuff you would never schmooze otherwise. Exactly. About. And, you know, and just relax on our chairs, sit back, not worry about, you know, who's watching us, who's looking. It, it was, yeah, it was a very, very special and unique Shabbos, which to this day I, I'm very thankful that I had that opportunity. Unbelievable. That you even remember it the, this fondly years later is incredible. Uh, you mentioned a story about um, a woman who has <laughs> sent two checks uh, meaning uh, checks payable to the synagogue, one to the synagogue for membership and one to the synagogue for the rabbi's fund. Right. And you couldn't understand how this woman, especially in her financial situation, you knew it was a diff- difficult situation. You didn't understand what this was about and that there were two checks and, and small amounts, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You find I'm, I'm giving the very short version to one of your longer stories, but eventually you call her, et cetera, and she says that the reason she sent these checks right. was because you – had changed her day last Wednesday, that her Wednesday was going terribly, and that you were, and now, now you are hesitant to follow up with her because you don't know what she's talking about. You, you know, like you're trying to think, did I give her a ride? Did I, like, what did I do? Right. <laughs> and you can't think of what happened. But thank God she volunteered the information. What did you do that changed her Wednesday? 
Well, interesting. I still remember the incident. I'm I'm walking on Van Houten Avenue, which is a main street in Passaic towards my block, and I see her across the street. And, uh, I mean, if you can say we make eye contact from about 50 feet, but right. we make some sort of eye contact, and I actually just waved to her. I just waved and maybe mouthed good morning, and she just... A day or two later, I got this letter from her, and when I called her, she said everything was going wrong that morning. You know, I spilled the coffee. I woke up late. My mother called me. Why am I not married yet? And then the rabbi waved at me and mouthed good morning, and the whole day changed. And the whole day changed. To the point that she wrote two checks to the shul. Yeah, she wrote two checks, yeah. And And you're saying to yourself, as you say in the story at the end, imagine that this little gesture that, again, to you was, you know, second nature, so to speak, an automatic, (laughs) you didn't even go out of your way to do it, and this this changed her day in that way. Right, and and I always wonder, you know, as you mentioned the checks to the shul, uh, you know, kicking myself, I didn't cross the street, and um, (laughs) could have got maybe a bigger chance. Here's Cynical Sam. Cynical Sam, there he is. There he is. <laughs> Rabbi Rodietzka, guys, and the book is called Shul with a View, Art Scroll, Shar Press. It's available everywhere, and we highly recommend it. You mentioned a story about the um, a gentleman who insists on seeing you before Rosh Hashanah. Right. And uh, he is, and you'll tell me if I'm telling this incorrectly, he is um, reminding you when he finally shows up because he, he made an appointment with you, did not keep it. It's Erev Rosh Hashanah, you know, it's... You know, there's a lot to do for a rabbi of Rosh Hashanah, and you're somewhat irritated, I think you could say, right. that he's not keeping to the schedule. He finally shows up minutes before candle lighting, and uh, he says to you that the reason he was desperate to meet with you before Rosh Hashanah uh, is because you had not helped him get his daughter into a certain seminary in Israel. Is that accurate? That's accurate. And he, it took him, this is how he puts it, it took him, I assume this is one of your balabatim, it took him until minutes before Yuntif to finally forgive you fully in his heart, and that's why he couldn't show up at 12 noon when you wanted him to to meet you. He, that's how long it took him to actually completely forgive you. He wanted to show up and tell you, I have completely forgiven you for that. That's Your reaction to that episode. That's correct. A reaction to that, which has been emphasized many times to me, is that you know, being a rabbi, obviously, you sit up in front, you know, people say, uh, what does the Rav think, or all these things, can lead, honestly, to, you know, needing a bigger hat size after a while. And once again, he proved to me that, you know, I'm just as human and have just as many flaws as anybody else, and that was something which was was very humbling, which, truthfully, I appreciated very much, uh, as notwithstanding, obviously, I was somewhat embarrassed but the fact that he was able to tell me that made me realize that, especially in Rosh Hashanah, I think I'm the one who's needed by everyone. Right. But in truth, I really needed him more than he needed me. And you're able to get through that night's Rosh Hashanah service, or it was it weighed on you nonetheless? Well, I guess it weighed on me enough that uh, after Rosh Hashanah, I wrote the uh, I wrote the piece, so I still right. remember it, and right. it's still a, a humbling episode. But honestly, a humbling episode, which I think I hopefully grew from. And we continue to grow. See, from. it's not just telling stories. It's also, I think, the the depth of appreciation for each episode that you convey in your Shul with a View article. You understand what I'm saying? Like, without that, I think just the the actual tale, the actual, uh, you know, uh, story would not be as powerful. And I appreciate you say that because um, 
I really do believe, and I, I try to put this into, to implement it, but each person, each human being, to be honest you, Jew and non-Jew, is created as the Mishnah and Pirkei Ava says, a Tzalem Elohim, some sort of form of God. And each person is literally a wellspring and a treasure trove of, of special qualities that if we give them the time and we pay enough attention, we'll, we'll discover diamonds in each and every person and, and inspiration and lessons to be learned and, uh, and to grow from. So true. Rabbi Ron Yitzchak Eisenman is here. Uh, I'll turn to you in a minute if you want to mention any of the specific stories or anything you'd like this audience to know. But the last one I'll quote or I'll tell is um, this somewhat complicated story. The reason it got me is because I am a, I'd like to think I'm a fighter, although I think that may be overstating it, but I'm certainly a big believer in uh, proper burial for Jewish people. And I also feel that if someone has spent their life completely out of the Jewish faith, with aside from the title, you know, having a Jewish mother, uh, even if they've done, you know, nonetheless, uh, one should make an effort to try to have them buried properly ka'alacha. Uh, obviously, from the way you tell your story, you believe <laughs> you believe the same thing. And you have a congregant who, if I, I don't know if I have this right, was it a congregant with a relative? And again, one of these typical challenges that, that the only lone relative of this person that they know is um, wants to have the, a cremation done. Uh, which, of course, would be completely against halachic uh, um, uh, procedure. And there's somebody in your shul who uh, uh, there, 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 somebody recommends that this relative contact a cousin or uh, some other relative who's in your shul, a balchuva who's now a from person in your shul. Correct. And, Correct. and they make arrangements to, um, to have proper burial. Right. And it ends up that the relative who wanted to just the son, I think it was a son, was who, a wanted, son who wanted to go through with his mother's cremation, not right. only acknowledges, thank God, that she was buried properly, but actually ends up paying for the entire thing because he feels that would be the proper thing to do. Correct. At the end, he sends a check to right. uh, and the, his cousin or whoever right, took care of it. Right. That, that, was, that was also a very moving episode, and especially how this uh, Balabas, who I know wants to preserve his anonymity, but how he went out of his way. He, you know, he, he flew down with his son-in-law, and then they had to rent a car to uh, to drive to this city out there and wherever it was, Virginia, I forget now. And uh, and to and they met the rabbi and to make sure this was a, a Jewish burial. But if you remember in that story, that as they're leaving, as they're leaving the cemetery, the rabbi, who was semi-orthodox, whatever, but was a nice man, he approaches the. He asked, they asked him, the con- my congregant asked him, can you just tell me anything about my aunt? I really haven't kept up with her. So the rabbi thinks for a minute and says, you know, I remember when she first joined the synagogue 20 years ago, she joined our Hevra Kedisha. She joined our burial. Society. Man. And who would have, you know, imagined that 20 years later that that schus, that merit, would come, uh, would come very handy to have in the bank for her. Unbelievable. Anyway, I I was very much taken by that. Rabbi Ron Yitzchak Eisenman, is there anything else about Shul with a view that you'd like to tell us? Well, I would like to tell you, first of all, even though you are right, it's correct, it is uh, based on my articles in Mishpacha, but there are 
there are new pieces in there. And also many of the pieces are elongated and lengthened to, I think, a, give more of a proper focus in Mishpacha, which is a beautiful publication. I'm thrilled to write for them too, but I'm limited to 630 words. Right. So many, most of these articles can, you know, go with 1,000, 2,000 words. Um, I'm appreciative of everybody who buys the book. And if I make, at the end of the day, somebody cry, somebody think, and hopefully somebody smile, I'm very satisfied, and I think I've, I've done my job. Amazing. Mazel tov on the book. Thank you. Thank you, Nochem, so much. I'm very appreciative of you of being here. I hope you, Stacy, and the kids are all well. And, um, it's just a very, it's a special moment for me to be here with you. Honestly, who would have imagined going way back on Amsterdam Avenue? With, <laughs> we'd be sitting at 551 Grant Street uh, talking, talking about, to the world. <laughs> right, and you would be this world-famous personality, and I'd be an author uh, writing for Art Scroll. Uh, I, you know. But uh, that's a good story in and of itself, Nachum. I agree. I, maybe I'll make the next show with a yes, view. Who yes, knows? I think you know. I think you will. <laughs> I still remember you saying on the air when you had to say Kaddish, or you were, or no, it was your Purim, right? And you said, "Keep that minion open, the nine thirty minion. I'm on my way." Correct. That was and and Rabbi Marcus made sure to do that for me every single year to keep uh, the Megillah waiting until I walked into the main sanctuary in West Orange, right. and in your shul. Yeah. I was once, because I had to say Kaddish to my father, I was once at the 930 minion. Today it would be a joke. Today I could have a 10, I could have a 1030, I could have an 11. Like, where were you 10 years ago, Rabbi? <laughs> and I, I, I remember when your father, Zichronel passed away. I remember seeing you yeah. often at the shul for your father. Yeah, right. But I think 930 was the last minion at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Latest Tr- minion in town. Truthfully, we, we, uh, we, we try really not to go after 10. We have 10, but we right. try not to go after because, right. you know, don't worry, my friends in Borough Park have the same sign up. No minyanum after ten, they go till about one o'clock. Okay, <laughs> look, as long as we're all connecting to Hashem, <laughs> that's true. You know, thank you so much for being here, Nachum. Thank you so much. Take my recommendation, folks. Sometimes I have really good recommendations. Masora Publications, Art Scroll, Shar Press has published Rabbi Ron Yitzchak Eisenman's book with plenty of brand new material, and it's called Shul with a View: A Rabbi's Personal Journal. Check it out, artscroll.com, and obviously everywhere where you purchase amazing and incredible Judaica. Tuesday morning, we will check in with Shlemy Werdiger about the CMS Shas and do plenty more if you keep it right here at JM in the AM.